We'll read from Habakkuk, the eighth of the twelve minor prophets, just before Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vine. The labor of the olive tree fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation." Habakkuk was grieved and burdened during a time of national crisis in his day. He prayed, but it seemed that God was indifferent. God was absent. Powerful nations threatened. This was a time when the Assyrian Empire of Nineveh was falling and the Chaldean Empire of Babylon was rising. In our day, we are at times, uh, exp- or here rather, a concern expressed of the powerful nations threatening us. It could be, instead of the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, it could be Russia, China, Iran, North Korea. But now, uh, Habakkuk was concerned and he had a right to be. His country, the country of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, had departed from their heritage. They, they had been founded upon the precepts of the Ten Commandments. They lived and breathed them for many generations, but over time fell away and adopted practices that were in total conflict with those commandments. Habakkuk was faithful to God and did his best to serve God and adhere to his godly heritage. But he was impacted. There was violence and chaos in Judah and in Jerusalem. The threat was very real toward their their nation. The, the northern kingdom had already been carried away by the Assyrians some 100-plus years earlier, and now they had threatened to... Uh, come further south to Judah. In time, the Babylonians had conquered or were conquering uh, Assyria, and now they threatened the southern kingdom of Judah. So the prophet prays. And he prayed in the first chapter we see in verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry and I will not hear? Even cry unto thee out of violence, and thou wilt not save. He knew that God could solve this in a moment. Just speak the word, Lord, like you did at creation, and it shall be done. No one can object. God chose otherwise, and God did respond. We see in verse 5, he responded to Habakkuk's complaint, by saying, I will work 
a work in your days which ye shall not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I will raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land, speaking of the land of Judah, to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. God had a plan. It was a plan not pre-approved by the prophet, but that plan was that God would use the Chaldeans to conquer and disperse the Israelites or the those of Judah and purge the nation, use that to purge the nation of their sins. Well, the prophet objected. He said, basically, wait a minute. I don't like the sounds of that. But God, perhaps that's why God said, I'll work work in in your days uh, that you will not believe, though I have told it you. In verse 13, here's a portion of the, the objection of the prophet. Chapter 1, verse 13, Thou art pure eyes, thou art of pure eyes, than to behold evil, and canst not look upon iniquity. Speaking of the more wicked reign of the Chaldeans, Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth a man that is more righteous than he? Lord, you think we're in a bad state of affairs morally? You ought to take a look at the Chaldeans. They're worse yet, and yet you are using them to accomplish your uh, justice. So he questioned God's plan. It seemed so right to the prophets of God earlier when the Lord appeared in their uh, minds to use the Chaldeans to destroy the Assyrians who had destroyed the northern kingdom. Then they were the instrument of God. But now Habakkuk uh, objects. He, he wanted answers. In verse 2, chapter 1, we see this. He says, I, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and watch to see what he, the Lord, will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Have you ever had in your mind uh, somebody said to you in your imagination and then you will respond accordingly and then they will respond and then you will uh, rebuff that? Well, we ought not to do that. It gains nothing, but we certainly ought not to do that with God. But that's what Habakkuk was doing. God did respond. He didn't have to wait long. In verse 2 of the same second chapter, we see, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it. God's answer was to be so simple that even a running person could read it while running. And we see in this chapter the answer that God provided in the form of five woes. Woe to him in verse 6, second chapter, verse 6, woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. In verse 9, woe to him that coveteth. In verse 12, woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establisheth a city by iniquity. 
Verse 15, Woe to him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, that makest him drunken also. In verse 19, Woe to him that saith of the wood, Awake! Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. The first woe, woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. That made me think of the recent uh, headlines online of this inside trader activity where some profited in the millions by selling their stock before this recent crisis hit, uh, having had foreknowledge that the market would crash. So they took advantage of their knowledge while so many so soon are in such desperate straits. So woe to him that increases. Woe to them. If they don't are not held accountable now, they will be held accountable hereafter. Woe to him that coveteth, reminding uh, Judah of the law of God that was given to Moses on the two tables of stone. Woe to him that coveteth. That was verse 9. Verse 12, Woe to him that buildeth a, a town with blood and established a city by iniquity. That is, to take advantage of others or gaining at the expense of others. Verse 15 again, Woe to him that giveth his neighbor drink because intoxicated people act irresponsibly and can be easily taken advantage of. So woe to the one that takes advantage of, of knowing that, that giveth his neighbor drink. Verse 19 again, Woe to him that says to the wood, Awake. Idolatry. You can coat it, whatever you make, with gold and silver, but it still cannot hear. And he went on to suggest that when we approach God, we should be like an idol that does not speak, but to uh, hold reverence in the house of God. But as we look at this book and what the prophet has given us, we see three things. We see uncertainty, uh, we see faith, and we see gratitude. Uncertainty. Isn't it something that Habakkuk looked for a response from God where God's attention would be focused on what was happening in Judah his country, as well as what was uh, happening with regard to the threats to his country. God's response did not address either of those issues. Habakkuk was concerned uh, about the uncertainty during a time of national crisis, but God's concern was about the behavior of a corrupt people. So he pronounces five woes. Woe unto you who live uh, as if you'll never give an account to your maker. Well, as far as uncertainty, life is uncertain for, for everyone, always. On any given Sunday, there are those, typically in the sanctuary, but certainly uh, across the world who view this webcast, who are facing great uncertainty. It just so happens that right now, all of us are experiencing uncertainty at the same time. Some at different levels, because some were already experiencing uncertainty, and now it's being compounded by these other issues coming into play. 
But life is uncertain for everyone always. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. The Bible teaches that. What is your life? It's as a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. We're, for the most part, uh, forgotten uh, pretty soon, except by loved ones. And then even uh, a generation or two down the road, uh, we, we are forgotten. So it behooves us to live for God so that we can spend eternity with the Lord and with the loved ones who have also made preparations to meet their Maker. Just because, speaking of uncertainty, we uh, cannot see or understand what God is doing or even be sure that He's doing anything, we actually can be sure that God is not absent. That God is very much on His throne and alert to every moment of every day for each one of us. The very hairs of your head are numbered. He notices that you have less today than you had yesterday, and some of us much less. So there is uncertainty, but there is a certain predictability in uncertainty in that if we are obedient to God, we can be sure that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and to them that are the called according to His purpose. We can be sure in uncertainty that God has a purpose and our confidence is in Him. We must uh, obey God all the time. And it's to our advantage if we do that and when we do that. Uh, Paul spoke of that. He said, "I, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. He had suffered plenty, and there were times of plenty for him, and there were times of poverty for him. But he had learned, and we all have an opportunity to learn, no matter what the circumstances are, to be content uh, that we're serving God, uh, that God is taking care of us. There's also, in uncertain times, predictability in disobedience to God. There's something that has more power, or that is more powerful, than a virus. And that is the destructive nature of sin. Sin attacks from within and brings one down. The grace of God is provided from above and lifts one up. We we want the grace of God. We want to be in favor with God and not of our own merit. But the Bible teaches us if we confess our sins, if we forsake our sins, we can have a forgiveness. There's a mad rush on now to find uh, some sort of a remedy for what the entire globe is, is facing and suffering from. That remedy, we pray and trust, uh, will be found and will uh, be applied. There's not too many that, that would reject the application of it if it was made available today. There's a remedy for sin. When this virus goes away, and it will, or, or an, an, a, a remedy will pre- be provided to minimize it, sin will still remain. The remedy will still be available. 
It's more important that we take advantage of that provision. And that provision was paid for by the blood of Jesus, our substitute. We should have suffered and died on that cross, but he stepped in and said, I will take the penalty that is due to every soul in the, in the human race. And he did that. And through that provision, we can have forgiveness and cleansing of all sins. That's the predictable aspect of obedience during uh, any circumstance. Sin may be all around us, but it need not be in us. Habakkuk experienced that. Though he was in a, in a time of, of uh, wanting answers from God and actually wanting to dictate what those answers should be, he still was also in a time where sin was around him but not in him. He trusted God as we see as we go along here. And we also see that God's response was the just shall live by his faith. Habakkuk was learning that and that lesson was viable enough for it to be repeated uh, three different times throughout uh, the New Testament. The just shall live by his faith, or he that is just, we might say, by faith shall he live. We, we obtain justification in the sight of God by faith. We believe in the atoning sacrifice of the blood of Jesus, and by that we are justified. We stand before God uh, once we ask forgiveness and have assurance of having received it, as though we had never sinned in the first place. The Lord took upon him that penalty. But we must take action. We must apply the remedy uh, by the grace of God or see that it is applied to our own hearts by embracing it and adhering to it. So that's uncertainty. And we see faith. The just shall live by his faith. Can God be trusted? When we don't see him active, when we don't see him responding, when we don't feel him, can he be trusted? He can be trusted. That's faith. If we relied upon emotions, we would send up the, the white flag and surrender in a, in a day and give up saying, woe is me, speaking of woes, uh, I am undone. But no, the just shall live by his faith, by faith shall the just live. Hebrews 10.38 speaks of that. The end of the book of, uh, of the 10th chapter, rather, of Hebrews re repeats that. Now the just shall live uh, by faith. And he says that as a prelude to uh, naming one by one in the next chapter. Of course, when it was written, we didn't have the chapter divisions. But he went on to name one by one those who overcame by faith. And they overcame great difficulties, difficulties much greater than what uh, the world has seen today. But by faith they overcame. We overcome by faith. There's nothing that can defeat us if we have faith in God. We can rely upon God. Can God be trusted? Oh yes, He can be trusted. Faith is not influenced by uncertainty. Uncertainty exists, but so does faith. The mark of our faith is not how uh, we respond when conditions are favorable. 
the mark of our faith is how we respond when the conditions are unfavorable. Job, we know him. Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and shall we not receive evil? He asked that question. He also said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave. The Lord hath taken away. What? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We're not encountering what Job encountered. No, not by any means. But he could bless the Lord in all this. Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. If anything, our faith is strengthened in adversity, not weakened. When life sails along very calmly, no feathers ruffled, our faith exists, but we don't need it so much. We do need it, but you know what I mean. It's when life is turning upside down that faith is strengthened. It's like a workout. Your, your muscles are strengthened by use. Your faith is strengthened in, when, it's in, uh, when you need it. And uh, that, that is the outcome. Finally, we have gratitude. Verses 17. Well, verse 17 is worth reading again. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vine, the labor of the olive shall fail, the fields shall not or shall yield no meat, the flocks shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Everything is going south. Everything is failing. We see, we see Habakkuk's response. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. He had his salvation. When the gifts evaporate, we still have the giver. We, we still have God on our side. If we have nothing but have God, we have everything that's important. Even the unbelieving farmer is thankful for rain at the right time. He might be angry, the unbelieving one, at the rain at the wrong time. But the believing farmer may prefer that there was no rain at the wrong time, but when the rain at the wrong time comes, he knows that God knows best. That if God gets glory out of things going uh, the wrong way in our eyes, then to God be the glory. The secret is to focus upon God rather than the circumstances. The secret is to focus on God rather than our feelings or emotions. Our feelings and emotions are not reliable. Right now, many are in distress, and rightfully so. Uh, wondering, worried, anxious, all of that. Well, if we focused on that or let that dominate us, where would that leave us? 
well, it's like uh, what the one uh, president, I'm trying to think of, of who, who said it. It might have been Calvin Coolidge who said, uh, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but gets you nowhere. That's true of anxiety and everything else. What are you left with after you say, okay, I'm going to be anxious. I'm going to uh, go crazy on this. Well, you're left in the, in a worse state than what you began. But if you focus upon God, you're left in a better state than how you began. I didn't read verse 19 to begin with. But let me ask you before I read it, have you ever seen a clumsy deer? The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. I don't think you ever have. I never have seen a clumsy deer. No, they they run across rough and dangerous terrain and up steep uh, places. That's what God promises to do to us or to um, provide for us during times of uncertainty if we have faith and if we use that faith to have a grateful heart. That's the promise. Lord, God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places. During uncertain times, God will strengthen our faith. God will help us to be on higher ground than we were when the trouble began. God will do that. God will do that for each of us. So when uh, the future is uncertain or causes dismay, why well, remember, have the heart of Habakkuk. Reach the conclusion that he reached. Though adversity seems overwhelming, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation.